It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Abby Hornacek. I'm Ben Dominich. I'm Dana Perino, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, February 7th, 2024. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. A fight over securing the border now appears to be a long shot as thousands of migrants continue to cross into the U.S. from all over the world every day. If we don't get this bill, then you're consigning us to status quo. And status quo is completely and totally horrendous. I'm Dave Anthony. China is not just a threat to the U.S. It's targeting us and things we rely on. The FBI warns Chinese hackers are working to infiltrate American infrastructure. We are, as a nation, I think, we're in a very, very dangerous spot when it comes to water. And I'm John Rich. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Republicans in the House had said before they'd allocate more money for Ukraine, Israel, and the Indo-Pacific, they would need the border to be addressed first. Since the president took office, six million people have been caught and released into the country, according to the Border Patrol, and nearly two million are considered known gotaways. But some House Republicans said they'd vote no on a bill negotiated by members of the Senate. Speaker Mike Johnson told Fox's Laura Ingram this week, What it would do is actually further incentivize illegal immigration. It would not resolve any of the problems, not reform in any meaningful way, the broken asylum system, the broken parole process, and all the things that have created this catastrophe. He reminded again that the president could have taken many executive actions during the course of his presidency to curb the migration, that he has the authority but hasn't used it. President Biden said from the White House Tuesday, this bill is only failing because former President Trump wants to weaponize it and run for president on the issue. Every day between now and November, the American people are going to know that the only reason the border is not secure is Donald Trump and his MAGA Republican friends. Former President Trump previously wrote on his social media platform, quote, the ridiculous border bill is nothing more than a highly sophisticated trap for Republicans to assume the blame on what radical left Democrats have done to the border just in time for our most important ever election. Don't fall for it. He recently said this. It's a terrible bill. 5,000 people alone. Don't even look at the rest of the bill. 5,000 people a day coming into our country. This is who's negotiating this bill. Now be a terrible bill. The bill would do a number of things. It would result in hiring more asylum officers who would adjudicate asylum claims, shifting the responsibility from judges to the Department of U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services in a quicker process, possibly as quick as six months. It requires the detention of most to attempt entry. And if the daily average of crossings reaches 5,000, the border would have to close to all migrants who don't have an appointment. It would also have to close if the border saw 8,500 people show up in a single day. Everybody's got to do what they think is best. I'm going to do what I think is best for border security. And if they think that the bill, if they think that there's poison pills in it, they've got to push back. Brandon Judd is the president of the National Border Patrol Council, and we spoke to him Tuesday while he was in D.C. on the Hill talking to lawmakers. What I would like to see is I would like to see an amendment process. Um, You know, not letting the bill come to light of day when you don't like certain aspects of it, that's fine. But amend it, offer amendments to it. Let's talk about what's in it. 
because there it, mm-hmm. it feels a, a little bit confusing to people. You have some people say this ends catch and release. Other people say no, it does not. What what do you say? I mean, you you guys would be the ones who'd be enforcing this. Does it essentially end catch and release, or does it not? It absolutely ends catch and release for single adults, uh, and that includes married couples. That counts as single adults as long as you don't have a juvenile child when you cross the border um, illegally. Uh, it does absolutely end catch and release for the adults. It does not end catch and release for UACs. It doesn't unaccompanied children. It doesn't end. It doesn't necessarily end catch and release for family units. But there's nothing in this bill that requires the release. And so we, when you look at it that way, and when you look at the number of people that we deal deal with on a daily basis, there are so many positives to this. There are so many authorities that any Republican president would like to have. Uh, president Trump would have liked to have some of the authorities that are that are in there. And so what this bill does is it ties the hands of bad administrations and it enhances what a good administration would want to do. And that's the reason that there's there's so many things in here that the, the reason that I support the bill, the reason why we support the bill is because there's so many good things and it will end catch and release for the largest segment of the people that we arrest crossing the border okay. illegally. Before we get more into the details of what's in the bill, what I hear you saying is, even if there are parts I don't like, this moves the goalpost. Now we have a new starting point from which we're going to debate Absolutely. immigration reform moving forward. If we want to talk about more asylum changes or legal immigration or you know merit-based immigration, any future changes would be, this would be the new baseline. Exactly. When you hear all the pushback, everybody's saying, well, this isn't the perfect bill. Well, you can't have a perfect bipartisan bill. That's chasing a unicorn. We've got to get we've got to get something better than what we're at. If if we don't get this bill, then you're consigning us to status quo and status quo is completely and totally horrendous. If we got this bill, this would be the new starting point. We could then take future bites at the apple. But if we don't do that, you know, if, if this were the only thing, if, if, if somebody were to come to me and say, hey, this is the only bill that's ever going to be passed and you can never do anything from that, I would be opposed to it. But this would be one bite at the apple. Then we take another bite at the apple to get to the perfect. But right now, this is something that is much better than what we currently have. OK, but you just said the status quo. I want to push push back on that because because I. Talk us talk to us about the amount of people who would be allowed in, right, or who would be allowed to be processed before, quote unquote, the border is shut down. We're reading it's 5,000, and that's roughly the amount that comes in every day. So it wouldn't necessarily be this dramatic change. It would. It would be a huge change because that does not mean that we have to release those people. Again, single adults, which is our, our largest number. So let's use a real world example. Let's use yesterday. Yesterday, we apprehended 6,528 people. That's what we apprehended. 68% of those people were single adults. We released 6,313 of those people. Under this bill, we would only release one that uh, that would be subject to release. Not necessarily that would be released, but what would be subject to release under this bill would be 1,470. That is a dramatic change. In what Wait, and who, who would be who would be qualified for release there in that fourteen hundred number? Children? If well, children would automatically qualify for release, but also family units if if they pass okay. a credible fear if they pass a credible fear interview. 
But we've got to we, we've, we have to recognize and this, these are the authorities that a good administration would have. If we look at credible fear right now, the bar is very, very low under status quo, very low. What this does is it raises it to the Trump bar under the PACER program, under the HARP program. It raises it to that bar. So very, very few people would qualify for um, for asylum, for a credible fear asylum case. And therefore, they would be held in custody. The ones that would be released would be the ones that actually qualify under a credible fear. Those are the ones that would be subject to release. So, again, we drop from six thousand three hundred and thirteen. If this bill were in enacted today. We would have dropped from six six thousand three hundred and thirteen um, releases. Those the, that's exactly what we released. We would drop that to where there would be one thousand four hundred and seventy people that would potentially be released, but not necessarily. Okay, so then, thing. so then we're detaining we're detaining people, right? That then this would change yes. that to be like we're going to detain you now instead of just release you. How are we going to yes. detain people? I'm reading we only have fifty thousand beds, and then if we reach that capacity, if we reach fifty thousand, then we have to start releasing people with like an ankle <laughs> monitor. How is that much different from now? No, because if you don't cr- pass that credible fear interview. You can appeal that. You, you don't get released. You can appeal that to the exact same asylum officer who didn't pass you in the first place. And when you don't pass that one, you're immediately removed. So we're not talking about detaining people for weeks, months, years. We're talking about a very, very short period of time. And 50,000 beds is absolutely enough for us to be able to move those people through and get them out of the country. What about, though, this notion of we will be releasing people with ankle monitors or, or with some notice to appear at a later date? You're, I, I'm reading that there would still be a difference in, in the way it's done now, that the, those releases. Would we have enough ankle monitors? Be, yeah, so, so it would be much more stringent. When you look at what we're currently doing, again, I'm going to compare it to the status quo. 6,500 6, arrests yesterday 6313 releases that's how many we have okay under this new bill you would have to pass a credible fear interview to get released that's going to dramatically drop the number so yes we do have enough ankle bracelets to deal with that population what we don't have enough is we don't have enough to deal with the status quo the status quo is what's requiring us to release so many people this would require us to detain and remove a vast majority of the segment of okay. the people that are crossing our borders illegally. Brandon, I want to ask you about that 60 Minutes report that aired on Sunday because they, they captured it well, and we've known about it. I think our own Bill Malusian um, or Griff Jenkins has, have captured it as well, too. That hole in the border, was it, in, in California? And it, it, there's some confusion about who can close it, There's that nobody can close it. This is where all the Chinese no, nationals are, are coming through, and TikTok is telling them to use this exact hole in the fence. What What is happening we, with this area? We absolutely have the authority to close that. We absolutely have the authority to go back in there and rebuild what they, what they opened up. If somebody comes in and cuts our wall because we don't have the resources to patrol in that area, we can then go back and we can close that hole back up, and, and that can be done. It's just this administration isn't choosing to do it. Um, and so I'm going to I'm going to go right back to the bill. I will stand by this 100 percent. What this bill will do is it will ensure that bad administrations can't do bad things while it will enhance what good administrations would do. OK, but are you guys going to can you fix that that hole in that particular area or only if only if Biden allows us to. 
If he doesn't allow us, we can't we can't do anything that Biden won't allow us to do. That's why we have the problem that we're that, that we're dealing with. If, so, if okay. Biden, if Biden with his with his orders, with his orders, if he does not give us the resources to close the hole, we can't close the hole. OK, as you know, the speaker has said this isn't going to this isn't going to work. Um, this bill, it's just it's not good enough. Let's say you get to the end of the week and this thing isn't isn't moving. And what where are you? What do you do? Do you are you defeated? Do you push forward? Do you regroup and push for something else in an election year? Like what's the what are the prospects if, if not this? Yeah. So we didn't push for this in the first place. When this bill was introduced, we evaluated it. We looked at it. We looked at what were the benefits and what, what were the, the positives? What were the negatives? We evaluated that against the status quo. And that's why we supported it. Um, we're not going to push another bill. Uh, we're going to continue to push to make sure that we have the proper people elected so that we can use executive authority to do do what's necessary. Biden could shut the border down tomorrow, but he's not going to. What this bill would have done and the reason why I supported the bill is because it would have tied him to doing what to doing the right thing. Brandon Judd, head of the National Border Patrol Council. Thank you so much for joining us. Glad to be with you. Thank you. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. I'm Dana Perino. President Biden is skipping a pre-Super Bowl interview, but is that a missed opportunity to connect with voters during an election year? This week, I'm joined by Jessica Anderson, president of the Sentinel Action Fund, as we look at the presidential primary field, as well as key Senate races, available now on Apple, Spotify, and foxnewspodcast.com. This is John Rich with your Fox News commentary coming up. There is yet another reason why the FBI considers China the U.S.'s biggest threats. The PRC has a bigger hacking program than that of every major nation combined. And FBI Director Christopher Wray told a House committee at a hearing last week they are targeting... Our water treatment plants, our electrical grid, our oil and natural gas pipelines, our transportation systems. And Ray says the Chinese goal is... To wreak havoc and cause real-world harm to American citizens and communities. Adding to Director Ray's concern. If you took every single one of the FBI's cyber agents and intelligence analysts and focused them exclusively on the China threat, China's hackers would still outnumber FBI cyber personnel by at least 50 to 1. And the director is also worried about TikTok, which we'll talk about later. There's no doubt about it that as uh, global tensions increase, Uh, The situation between the United States and and the West in general with China is starting to become precarious. John Cofrancesco is a cybersecurity expert, founder and CEO of the company Applied AI. And and he's on the mark when he describes the threats coming from China. Uh, The reality is China is actively targeting us. So let's go through the infrastructure that's being targeted. Let's start with the electric grid. How vulnerable are we? So upshot uh, in electric is that we have, as a nation, spent a lot of money, a lot of time to improve the security in the electrical grid. So uh, of the you know major areas of infrastructure, that is the one in which I feel most comfortable. But some of the other segments are are still completely vulnerable by comparison. Okay, but with the grid, 
how do hackers get in? If we wind back the clock about 100 years, you have a bunch of guys in a coal plant, you know, just chucking coal into a furnace and, and that's generating electricity. Everything was controlled manually. Today, there are a group of systems. They all have cute acronyms like SCADA and HMI. And so these systems all manage that infrastructure that was once, you know, manually controlled. So what the bad guys do is they go for a fishing trip. They test to find if they can find uh, open ports, paths of entry into these control systems. And then once they're in, as you know, uh, they then spend all of their time figuring out how they can move vertically and laterally across networks to gain control of different assets within a power network. So for example, you might increase uh, power to a certain location such that the transformers uh, can't manage it. You might decrease power to a certain location. You might flip a switch on or off. And uh, whereas that used to be done physically, again, today, all done through the systems. And, and that's their their point of entry. But you feel pretty good that utility companies have a good defense. I think insofar as you can defend anything in cyber, the utility companies have spent a lot of money and time and effort there. It's not to say that they, they can't get hit. They're going to get hit. It's just to say that they're more resilient as compared to some of our other critical infrastructure you know, categories. Let's talk about water systems. So this is the one where I am I am very nervous about water. Uh, it is a much harder system to manage because of how we do water in our country. So in the electrical grid, you really have about two dozen principal companies and, and they're they're monopolies, for lack of a better term, right? They're really integrated with state and federal governments. So there's a lot of control there. In the water side, you have tens of thousands of local and municipal water organizations who all for cost reasons have begun to put in those same automations that electric has had for a long time, but they have comparatively little to no investment in security. When I say little to no investment, I really mean like zero dollars for most of these organizations. Wow. And you don't need to turn off the water for a very big location to have a massive impact. We are as a nation, I think we're in a very, very dangerous spot when it comes to water. I would imagine the threat is more contamination than just turning the water off, right? Well, there's a bunch of different things you could do. Uh, the first is contamination. That's so you could increase the fluoride levels in water, such as to make it poisonous. You could turn off the water in the sense that uh, you could push too much water to certain locations, causing ruptures, which again, you know, actually could destroy the water facility. Turn off the water to people's houses for three or four days and watch what happens. I mean, it, it would be catastrophic and it sounds very scary, but unfortunately, when it comes to water, we, we have not done enough of the right things, and, and we are in a tough spot. Okay. You mentioned pipeline. You know, we had that hack a couple of years ago where the gas pipeline in the East Coast was affected. We're talking about gasoline. That's another issue. I mean, oil and gas is another big infrastructure here. Yeah. that's So, you know, it, it's an amazing thing, the modern American life. We, we enjoy so much luxury by virtue of these unseen pipelines, right? Whether they're moving water or electricity or gas, right? They make our lives run. And and if you turn off just a handful of pipelines in this country, oil or gas, yeah, you can completely impact America's ability to travel, to work, to get to places. Now, I will comment that for the most part in oil and gas, they're more secure than water, though less secure than electric. And typically, when those facilities are attacked, it's not the OT, the operational technology, the actual pipeline that's attacked. Typically, it's the IT that's attacked. So, for example, in the pipeline attack we're discussing, they really affected the payment system. So, 
that, that organization could have pumped uh, gas. They elected not to because they didn't have a way to charge for it. We've had a lot of ransomware attacks. I mean, hospital systems have been hit with those in, in, in the last year or so. Ransomware, have cyber defenses done better fending those off or no? Not really. What's happened is that the world's best hackers are busy uh, fighting a war in Ukraine. So they're not as busy committing active uh, ransomware attacks in the United States. I think when that war concludes, hopefully very soon, I think you'll see a spike in that behavior again. What should the U.S. and private companies be doing to deal with all these threats? That we aren't. I mean, we have cyber defenses, but what do you think should be done more? I have a somewhat contrary opinion on this. I think that the the Biden administration did a really nice job in the in the first couple of years getting out, raising the flag, letting everybody know, hey, we got to focus on this. And and they deserve a lot of credit for that. They have done a poor job getting off of first base and, and, and rounding the score here. And what I mean by that is you cannot effectuate security through government mandate. And the way we need to do that is to create financial inducements, encourage them, pay them to add security. So if you turn around to the the water facility plants, 13, 14,000 of them that are really critical, and you say, hey, you know, we're going to pay you contract of XYZ to add security, they'll go off and do that. If you just tell them to go do that, but don't incentivize them financially, it's not only that they won't, many of them can't. So that's the transition we need to see. And and I, I liken that back to America's economy running into World War II. Ford, GM, those organizations, private organizations, uh, got large government contracts. They were profit-driven contracts, and it encouraged the the greatest production in world history. We need to do the same thing in cybersecurity, and we need to do that now before any engagement with uh, a foreign power like China. What about our transportation sector? I know people. I suppose people, the the worry would be more on like mass transit, like airplanes and buses, trains. How are we on security for those? Considerably better, by and large. I feel very, very confident in our air travel. Where I feel less confident uh, with regards to mass transportation is in shared systems. So uh, a small breach in the radar systems, a small breach in some of the issue reporting systems at a Department of Transportation. Uh, could cause major delays and backups. And Americans travel by car, and, and that disbursement of control actually gives us some measure of security. If you wanted to attack American transportation, it's not to say they wouldn't go after trains and planes, but but you'd probably just go after the oil pipelines. Let's go back to FBI Director Christopher Wray at that hearing last week, talking about another potential threat made in China. I, I have very significant security concerns about TikTok. Uh, and it's, it's a combination of the ability that the Chinese government would have to, if they choose to exercise it, to control the collection of the data, to control the recommendation algorithm, and if they wanted to, to be able to control and compromise devices. Now, John, you and I have talked about TikTok before with bans in place on the social media app on some federal and state government-issued devices, and you share his concerns about TikTok, right? He's completely right. And, and it's not just TikTok, it's some of the other... Uh, you know, major Chinese run or Chinese back organizations, but TikTok is the most glaring. The, the reality is, is that we are handing over the details that the Chinese government needs to control or to attempt to control American citizens. At no other time in history would we have done that. I, I give an example. During the Cold War, we weren't inviting the writers of Pravda into every elementary school in the United States. Why would we allow the Chinese Communist Party to do that with our children now? It's crazy. 
But people are like, look, I'm just watching videos. They're fun. They're just short videos. They're all over the place. And they're just, I'm having a good time. What's the big deal? Yeah. So that's the mistake, right? You're not just watching videos. What you are doing is handing the Chinese a location data for everywhere you've been, keystroke data for the things you're putting into the phone, relationship data with all the people you know. You're creating a target pattern that's so they can decide if and when they want to utilize you as a lever on somebody else. This isn't cartoon bad guys. These guys are really, really smart. And we don't even know all the ways they could use that data. But we know if you hand them a gun, <laughs> the likelihood that they're going to fire it is better than fair. But social media, we everything, all our apps collect data, right? I mean, no matter what I use. So why is this different? Well, as a rule, I, I would say that we need to, you know, we need to change the policy of, of how social media collects data, you know, across the board, right? And the Chinese, and I will, I will credit them here. When we complain about TikTok, they say, hey, listen, Facebook does the same stuff. They're right. Facebook and, and Instagram and Twitter or X, really, they do the same things. But here's the difference. Mark Zuckerberg is a U.S. citizen. The majority of his employees are U.S. citizens. TikTok is not managed by U.S. citizens. They say, they're, hey, we're U.S. China doesn't run us. Yeah, that's so they have a Singaporean front man behind a Chinese, you know, standing in front of a Chinese board, right? They're collecting that data. They are moving it to places that are, in fact, offshore, although they've denied it. You know, I, I have I have all sorts of concerns with, with how TikTok works, but I actually think it speaks to a broader point about information sharing and propaganda. And worst of all, it is targeted at our youth, fighting a battle where you're always reactive, which is what we're doing when it comes to propaganda and information sharing with TikTok, will always be a losing battle. It's always going to be in arrears. So we have to find a way to strike out and actually attack it, which probably means shutting it down. John Cofrancesco, founder and CEO for Applied AI. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And in other news. I'm Gianna Gelosi. French has been given the boot as the world's most attractive language, at least according to a new survey from the language learning platform Babbel. 6,000 people from the U.S., the U.K., France, Spain, Italy, and Germany were asked which languages were the sexiest, the most romantic, the most passionate, with Italian getting the highest cumulative score to make it the most attractive language. A Babbel language teacher told the Daily Mail it could be because the rise and fall of pitch and spoken Italian can create a musical quality to the language. German won for most direct language and British English for most polite. In 2017, the company surveyed over 15,000 people and French reigned the sexiest with Italian in second place. The latest survey comes as linguists say a new dialect known as Miami English is taking over South Florida, popularized by Hispanic youth born in America. Miami English uses English words in Spanish forms. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm Gianna Gelosi. The Will Kane Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. John Rich. What's on your mind? Hey, y'all. John Rich here. I woke up like the rest of you. With an absolute gut punch, finding out that our fellow patriot and country legend, Toby Keith, had passed away from cancer. And 
you know, I thought about all the times throughout my career, all the way back to the Lone Star days when I had shared stages with Toby, had been backstage with him, um, celebrating hit songs, talking about our country, talking about football, whatever was going on. You know, I think one thing that the fans should probably know is that he was the same guy off stage as he was on stage. There was no difference. Same guy. And I think that's shown through his music. You know, the lyrics that he wrote, the way that he um, came out a song from that stage, whether it was a fun song or a serious song about our country, he meant every single syllable of every single word in those lyrics. And that's truly what makes an artist great. You know, he accomplished something in his life that most people will never be able to say they accomplished. And that is he created something that will live longer than himself. And we are all the benefactors of that. We get to hear his songs for the rest of our lives. And um, just remembering him today and how important he was, not only to country music, but to our country, to our military, to our veterans and active duty service members. God bless Toby Keith. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.